0: Hi there. I want to invite you to a super special free live training that I am giving with my friends at QGive on Thursday, July 21st, all about creating a future-proof nonprofit social media strategy. You can register right now for free at www.bit.ly forward slash QGive and Julia. Once again, www.bit.ly forward slash QGIV, and Julia. You don't want to miss this free webinar. You can also go to the show notes of this episode and click the link to register. You're going to learn all about how to navigate upcoming digital changes, the four pillars of social media management, actionable ways to engage your community, and more. See you on July 21st. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. Thrilled to have you here listening today. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. And today we are going to be talking to Ligia Pena, who is an internationally recognized expert in gifts, in wills, and legacies. We're going to talk about What is a legacy program? What are some things small nonprofits can consider? How can we market our legacy program and sort of all the things around legacies? So Legia is a president of Globetrotting Fundraiser, and that's where she is online, where she specializes in helping nonprofits develop strategic data-driven gifts in wills and programs or wills programs, which we're going to learn more about because clearly I need to learn about this and I need to learn the terms. But prior to consulting, she was the global legacy manager at Greenpeace International, where she oversaw the organization's global legacy strategy in 14 countries. And she is also, in her free time, a PhD candidate at the University of Kent, where she's researching national legacy marketing campaigns as a tool to change society's behavior towards gifts in wills. I Absolutely love that. And I want to talk more about that. So, welcome to the podcast, Lishia. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. We were just talking about how Icon was a lot, and we were not back in like full conference mode. And hopefully, you know, we'll be back in the next few months. I don't know. Do you think that we'll ever mentally get back to that same place we were at in 2019?
1: Of attending conferences? I hope so. I mean, I'm definitely heading to my next conference in a few weeks in Paris. So yeah, I'm all for it. I'm on board. Bring it on. Let's go. (laughs) Yes, Paris. All
0: right. Well, how did you get into this work? And you know, where's your current focus?
1: In general, in fundraising, I've always been fundraising since I was a small kid. But then after I finished school, my second BA, I was looking for work. And to make a super long story short, I got a job as a director of communications and fundraising at the YMCA here in Montreal. And I didn't look back. I haven't looked back. That was over 20 years ago. And as years progressed, I've always been very big on professional development. And I just sucked every piece of information I could possibly absorb. I'm a sponge when it comes to things. And then while I was at uh, the why we ended up hiring a DOD, and then I moved off and left. And she came from the plan giving world.
0: DOD means Director of Development.
1: Yes, sorry.
0: We love our acronyms. I know that.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So she was. Uh, she came from a children's hospital where she specialized in in plan giving, and that's where I got my first taste of plan giving. Loved it, and decided to start learning more about it fast forward 20 years later and here I am specializing in legacies and I love it.
0: I know, I'm so excited. This is the very first time we've talked about legacies on the podcast. So for people that don't know what that might mean, what does it really mean? Give us a little bit overview and why are they so important? So
1: legacies is more of a European terminology because in Europe What they consider legacies are depending on the country, but in general, it's all bequests, gifts and wills. When you look at Spain and France, that also includes life insurance gifts. It basically replaces the term planned giving that we use here in North America.
0: I love the term legacy. I think it's very expressive, but keep going.
1: Absolutely, I agree with you, but I'm even shifting my mindset about that. And I'll explain why. So in Australia and New Zealand, they use bequests. But here's the thing: being research focused, I love to look at what research says and then apply it to us as practitioners. And Dr. Russell James did a study in the US that demonstrated that donors do not understand what in the world plan giving means. And what resonated for donors was an actual term that means what it is you're trying to do, which is gifts and wills. So in his study, he, rec- he strongly recommended that we scrap plan giving as a term and we use gifts and wills. Now, of course, we know that gifts and wills is not all of the different donation vehicles that fall under the heading of plan giving, Right. So it's a bit limiting, but I think if we were to use legacies, which in his study also demonstrated that was still quite misunderstood, but it was understood a lot more than plan giving, that basically if we were to use legacies to encompass all of the different donation vehicles, financial vehicles that are used within plan giving, we would be more donor centric in that approach than saying plan giving. like what the heck does plan giving mean? Like you're planning your gifts for Christmas? Like what?
0: Yeah, and people like regular people that are not in the sector don't understand this, these terms that we
1: use. People in the sector don't understand what it means. I mean, honestly, I've had people in the sector go, what do you mean by plan giving? I'm like, oi!" and it's not a job on them. I think it's a job in the sector of the terminology that we use. We should all take ownership of that and say, you know, let's drop plan giving once and for all and use a donor centric vocabulary that more people will understand and that it makes everybody want to rally around it.
0: So with everything going on in the world right now, is this the time to focus on legacies?
1: I challenge anyone that says it is not. I'll tell you why. Yes, things are not going well right now economy is in the, in the dumpster and it's not great, but here's the thing because, and we're going to, I guess this conversation will focus specifically about gifts and wills because at the end of the day, it is the type of, and I, I use air quotes in saying this, it's like the number one planned gift that donors leave. Okay, like I would go as far as saying maybe 85 to 90% of planned gifts come from bequests, from gifts and wills. So that's where you should be focusing. Like, stop, you know, wasting time on annuities and trusts and all kinds of stuff that are too complex, especially if you're in a small or medium sized organization. I worked the first 15 years of my career in small shops. So I totally know what that challenge is like. But here's the important thing about gifts and wills most of them will come in a few years' time. Depending on how old your donors are in your database, it's possible that some of those gifts could be realized in the short term, like within one or two years. But let's say you're looking at engaging in legacy conversations with your donors. That gift might come into play, be realized in a few years. Well, we know that the economy is cyclical. And so yes, right now, it's a crapshoot let's be honest, right? It's not a good situation, but that gift is not going to be realized next week, probably. So the economy has time to restabilize. And so the assets are going to increase in value. Let's not forget what are gifts and wills, like, like very specifically, a gift and a will is basically any asset that is liquidated at all the assets are liquidated at death. So it's based on the value of your home, at your date of death, is the value of your pension, of your investments, of your you know summer home if you have one, of your car, your jewelry, everything. All of your assets are deemed liquidated when you die. And so that's where the proceeds of that donation comes from. So it's really hard to make people comprehend how the economy today does not necessarily impact your gift in the future because you don't know what the economy will be like in 5 years from now. That's very true.
0: And I think that we get so focused on being reactive and not proactive and not planning for the long term that we tend to kind of, you know, do ourselves a disservice in that way. So what are some of the first steps like not if a nonprofit's very interested, where could we look for these kinds of donors? Like what are some things to consider when we're trying to start this program?
1: Well, first and foremost, the biggest obstacle to starting a legacy program is usually management and your board.
0: Yep. They're like, we should be on TikTok, Yeah, which is something I hear all the time. No offense to TikTok, but.
1: No, it has nothing to do with the tool. It has everything to do with the mindset. It's the mindset that's the biggest obstacle. It's not the tools used. And so first and foremost is getting everybody on board from day one. Otherwise, you're going to be a salmon swimming against the current and you will burn yourself and burn bridges with everybody and never manage to actually put it. The next thing is to identify, like this is where – you know, digging into your numbers, into your data and your insights is so important. So I know that one of the biggest challenges of small and medium-sized organizations, and a lot of large ones too, I have to say, is having good, clean data on your donors. And I'm not talking just about donation, you know, donation history and all of that. That's pretty straight forward. Most organizations have that relatively well done, but I'm talking about information about the donors. So are they married? Do they have a spouse? Do they have a former spouse? Do they have children? You know, What is their level of education? Do you have their year of birth? You don't have to have their full date of birth. Even if you just have the year they were born, all of that demographic information that paints a better picture of what your donors are, That will help you identify which ones are your best prospects because what we do know is that the propensity to leave a gift in a will is not based on how much money they have today, like how much cash flow and disposable income they have today. It's based on what their assets are, but more importantly, from a personal perspective, it's how deeply they care about your mission how committed they are to helping your organization realize its mission. So what you want to be looking at is behavior identifiers that makes a donor stand out. So above, so what I'm talking about is above and beyond the normal quantitative indicators, age, so over the age of 55, let's say, and year of birth, those are the quantitative indicators that you want to be looking at, right? But then the qualitative ones are donors who give on a regular basis consistently, i.e. your monthly donors. There's nothing more irrational than parting away with your money on a monthly basis to a charity. And yet that's where you find the nuggets, the, the golden nuggets in your database.
0: Yes. Stephen Shattuck calls them the hidden gems.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's got it right. Like those are your donors who are incredibly committed. So you want to start with those donors. If you don't currently have a monthly giving program, consider starting one. It's not that difficult. You just need to add that as a donation option. Mm
0: -hmm. It's the only way I give. It is really the only way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, making an automatic opt-in as, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it's an opt-in when they make the first gift, right? So that helps you build that, that potential pipeline of prospects. So once you've got those things sorted out, then it really comes down to talking about the future, like the vision of the organization for the future. What do you want to do in five years time? What do you want to be doing in 10 years time? And what will that impact look like? Like you have to sell basically that image of a better world because you're able to realize your mission. I love
0: that. Absolutely. And what I think is so interesting, especially with gifts and wills and legacy donors is that we as fundraisers are trained to use emotions, you know, and Penelope Burke calls it the sad Timmy story or the poor Timmy story. And that's what I teach a lot because I I focus on digital fundraising. I focus usually on monthly giving small dollar donors crowdfunding, but you write, and this is an incredible shift. There's a point in the legacy journey where we have to appeal to the donor's rational brain. So how do we start to make this shift? How do we do that?
1: Yeah. So that was based on a lot of my readings and about behavioral science and applying behavioral science in legacy marketing and we know that tapping into the emotion so system 1 it's that quick you know emotive impulsive kind of part of the brain that makes you do everything that you do on a daily basis just about right but then system 2 is the more complex and and strategic thoughtful part of the brain that you tap into when you have to make more serious decisions, more labored decisions. And we resist that. That's the minority of the time, right? Because at the end of the day, we're human, we're lazy, right? And this is not a jab, it's just a fact, right? So... Throughout the journey of engaging with donors and informing them and, and, you know, getting them to learn more about gifts and wills, et cetera, you want to tap on the emotional brain because that's where they will say, yes, and I want to learn more. Yes. And I want to find out more about this. You know, you're moving them forward, forward. When they are, they are at the point where they're like, okay, this is good for me. I want to include a gift in my will. So now I have to take an action. I need to go see a solicitor to go and write my will. I need to talk to my family. I need to plan out what my estate planning is. That is a more you know, intense decision, a more serious decision. That's where you need to tap into that rational brain. So this is where in order for them to move forward at that stage, you need to provide them with information that will help them do that action to go see their legal advisor, right? So you want to provide them with a sample bequest language. You might want to offer them a will writing workbook to help them prepare for that. You may need to nudge them a little bit more and Tap into the rational side. How it helps, you know, many things, etc., etc. And once that deed is done, once they've gone to their legal advisor, then it's the celebration. So that's where they switch back to the emotional. Because doing that action, it's kind of like that getting that joyful yes that we often talk about in fundraising. Then that's when the celebration happens, and you flip back to the emotional. But the problem is this: the way planned giving has been marketed for as long as I can remember is always the rational from day one because organizations continue to promote plan giving through the lens of these are the financial legal and you know advantages that you'll get by leaving a gift and a will, but it doesn't work because that's not where the decision happens. It's sort of like,
0: yeah, saying this is tax deductible. Like that's not why I'm giving. <laughs>
1: No, Uh, although there's some research that demonstrate that there are more people leaving, making donations because it's tax deductible than we tend to think. But it's not the reason that they will admit is the reason, right? True. It might just be the nudge that puts them over the edge. Precisely. Exactly. So, but, but when it comes to gifts and wills, it's never about the tax benefit. And that we know it's because, again, because their emotional self is, you know, like their emotion is, is resonates with what you're trying to do. And so that's where it sits. So you need to know, you need to understand that if you, and honestly, and I, (laughs) it's probably going to take off a few people, but. I think the problem of why a p- plan giving and legacies are still promoted through that lens of, oh, it's a tax uh, effective, you know, legally, da, 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 and all that kind of stuff is because organizations, especially small and medium-sized organizations, continue to look at the examples of like the big institutions that are out there and they go, well, you know, if they promote it that way and they're a big institution and they're obviously raising a lot of money, then it must work. Well, I mean, you know, just as much as I do not because they're big that they're necessarily doing it well so you know we have to stop copying those big institutions and just take the time to learn all of these things which at the end of the day it's a lot of common sense and then just carve your own path as your own organization be inspired by others but then carve your own path and challenge yourself to do things a bit differently because your donors are not the same donors as those big institutions that you you try to emulate.
0: So you wrote a four post series that I really liked that explored the differences between generations and how legacies should be marketed to them. And I thought it was really interesting because I feel like when nonprofits think about legacies, they think just about boomers. So how can legacies be marketed to these different generations?
1: I love writing that. And it, it was just a, it was a first, attempt. And obviously I got so excited by doing the research for that. that I'm, I'm actually even thinking of like doing a much more in-depth study on it all It should of be them. a
0: book. I think it could be a book.
1: Right? Yeah. But then, you know, things are moving so quickly that it would be outdated so quickly. So it would have to be something online, I think. I don't know. Ah, we'll, we'll brainstorm after. <laughs> okay. Yes. Definitely a presentation topic for sure. Absolutely. It actually started out as me trying to write a keynote that addresses this. That's where the idea came from. And then I thought, well, why don't I just do first round research, do a blog series, see how people respond, take that feedback and then build on it. Anyway, but to to answer your question, it came from a place of me being frustrated because as far. And a lot of my ideas come from my frustrations. Oh, (laughs)
0: that's pretty much where most of my ideas come from as well.
1: (laughs) It's my therapy, basically, where, you know, been in in the sector for over 20 years, for over 20 years, we've been hearing about the wealth transfer and the baby boomer. Well, we're in the midst of it right now. It's happening. And it's going to continue happening up until they say about 2040. So we still have quite a bit of time. Do you have time to waste? Heck no. But if you didn't start last week, well, then start today. That's all I'm saying. But don't wait till next week. If it means just sprinkling a little bit of legacy dust all over everything you do, then you're good. That's a good start. Okay. But then I thought, well, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm the next generation of legacy donors. I've already included, I've made a gift of life insurance, which is all paid up. And they're just waiting for me to die. <laughs> no, seriously. Well, they're going to have to wait a few more years. And I've included organizations in my will, so I've done my bequest. My bequests are confirmed already. But I'm just getting started. I mean, I just turned fifty a month ago. I'm at that prime age where I, sh- you know, organizations should start have legacy conversations with me. And yet, no one is. Oh, actually, no one has. One has. Only one of the many organizations I give to have reached out about a legacy gift. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting here going, what in the world are organizations doing? Why aren't they tapping into the next generation? Are they going to wait until we turn 75 to start talking about legacies? Like, that's what's wrong with this. Because
0: we, the culture, the Western culture where we don't talk about death or we're scared to talk about death and money.
1: You're not wrong but I don't think it's that. It goes beyond that. It's way beyond that. It goes to what I was saying before. It's management that is not dedicating, that keeps running organization with the leaky leaky bucket mentality. That's what it is. I believe wholeheartedly that that's what it is. I could be completely wrong. And this is not based on any actual scientific research. But this is based on all these years of working in these organizations and always being pressured to focus on getting money in this year and never looking beyond the next fiscal year. And that makes me absolutely crazy. And so that's where it came from of going, so we're focusing on annual income, which is Of course, it's important. Naturally, it's important, but it can't be done at the detriment of securing your future. You know, most people have pension plans of some sort, you know, in one way or another, whether they're good or not, it's not the issue. But just about everybody in general has some sort of retirement plan. Well, your legacy program is your retirement plan, so why aren't you investing in it? If it's good enough for you on a personal level, why is it not good enough for your organization? Unless, of course, you you come and you say, well, we don't expect to be around after 10 years, so why would we? Well, then great, but I've yet to have found an organization that has said that so far. So... Honestly, I think it comes down to that is that senior management either don't know about legacies, which I know that's a fact. I've spoken to EDs and COs that that were just dumbfounded when I mentioned legacies, or they don't give their fundraisers the space and the budget and the time to start developing that. So what I've seen is that... During the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of organizations that managed to kind of weather the storm of the first year of the pandemic is because they had legacy income coming in because they saw a lot of their, you know, mailing programs and so on, and their major gift program just dip because people were just, you know, not spending, right? And not wanting to give. And so it's a great backup plan, which it shouldn't be considered a backup plan, but you know what I mean? Well, when should
0: we start? Because you're saying Gen X and I'm also Gen X and I'm a monthly donor to several organizations that I don't think they've ever thought of even contacting me about something like a legacy gift. So that's really interesting. Should we start talking about it even when, even with like Gen Z? And what is the generation even after Gen Z? Like when is the appropriate time or when do you think we should start talking about it?
1: I think millennials gen Z it's just a little bit too soon, so I wouldn't advise organizations to put start putting money on it, although it doesn't hurt to put it in your welcome kit yeah, it doesn't hurt to just talk about it right exactly like and you know like that legacy dust sprinkling of legacy that's gen my friend Jen Love of Good Works in Ontario that says that, and I'm not saying here if you want to start to start writing all kinds of brochures and all that kind of stuff, that's useless. If you don't have the budgets, don't. Use what you currently use to communicate with your donors to start putting in little messaging, whether it's a PS in your annual appeal, whether it's a little box underneath your online donation page that says, please send me more information about your gifts and wills program, whether it's adding a a tab in your donate pages that talks about gifts and wills. Whatever it is, you don't need to start creating a bunch of brochures what you need is to just think about what is it that you want to offer your donors start with bequest just that if that's all you do and then allow donors to start self-identifying if you have a monthly giving program and you have gen xers in there okay one appeal out of the year whenever is a good time for you when you're not sending out your regular special appeals or whatever do an appeal saying you know Gifts and wills are really important at organization ABC. We're able to do this and that. And, you know, in the future, this is what's going to happen. Would this be something of interest to you? And could we contact you? Or you can send them a survey. If you go on my website, there's a resources page. And there's a sample survey that people can download and then adapt for their organization. Send a survey so that you can get your donors to self-identify where they are in their thought process of whether, you know, they would like to find out more or they've already left a gift in their will. You don't know. You might have donors in your database today that have included you in their will and you're none the wiser. Why? Because you never asked them. That's such a
0: fantastic point. Just asking, just putting it out there in the universe and asking people and making them aware that this is an option. I think that's so important. So for my last question, we've touched on it. We've talked about it. What is maybe your top tip, your top two tips to convince management to invest in a legacy program or to help you at least start one? Invest in a legacy program sounds daunting, but at least start.
1: Yeah, I would say first and foremost, start a conversation of the future of the organization in 15 years from now. Get them to talk about what their vision is for 15 years from now, and then move, once that's figured out, move the conversation towards. and how are we going to finance that dreams? And then engage in that conversation of, well, you see, if we were to start talking about legacies now, and we include that. Across all of our fundraising program, because it's not something that you do on the side. It's something that should be integrated into your annual giving program, your mid level program, your major gifts program, across the board. Okay. Should be integrated into everything where you're constantly asking for both gifts. And so when you integrate it that way, then it doesn't become yet another thing we need to do. It's just an integral part of your annual giving program. And so there you go. And then through that, then they'll see that it's not yet, you know, some, a big burden to, to develop.
0: Yeah, no, that's a hugely important point that it should be baked into everything that you're doing. And that way it doesn't seem like, oh, it's just another thing on my plate, but it should be baked into, it should it just should be part of strategic planning, it's part of your annual gift program. Like you said,
1: can I just throw in one last thing? start having that conversation one-on-one with your director of finance because usually that's the easier sell get that one champion and then have that have that conversation with the rest of the management team
0: so where where can people uh, people are going to be very excited about this conversation and where can they find you and learn more about you Liicia
1: They can find me at www.globetrottingfundraiser.com. That's my website. And there's uh, a resource page where they can download a bunch of stuff. They can access all the books that I have that I've been reading, I have read or have to read. There's also a few examples of good legacy pages that I've hyperlinked in there and some suggestions of other blogs to read and things like that. So yeah, that's where they can find me. Awesome. Where are you off to next? I'm headed to Paris for the French Fundraising Association Seminar. It's a three-day conference, and then piggybacking a little vacation in Nice. And then in the end of August, beginning of September, I'm going to Wellington for uh, New Zealand for the Finns Conference, the uh, New Zealand Conference. I haven't been to Wellington. I've been to Auckland. And so I'm looking at uh, piggybacking a few extra things in the area, in, the, in the, that region when I'm there.
0: I, I encourage everyone to follow you, Globetrotting Fundraiser. You certainly are a Globetrotting Fundraiser. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ligia. This was really fun.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then you can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell, keep changing the world. You nonprofit unicorn.